The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode 13, No More Excuses. Excellent. Nikki, before we get into the content of today's episode, we have to get a medical update on you because the last we spoke, you had done uh, some Clark W. Griswold sledding and uh, came off injured. Clark didn't. He walked away from it, but you had uh, a little finger problem. I did. I did. I I almost went as fast as he did. I mean, that, that little <laughs> disc was moving pretty quick. But yeah, my, my finger is still broken. And oh. um, at this time, it is. it appears to be getting better and we might be able to avoid surgery. So... Oh. Got a got a few more weeks before we know for sure on that, but uh, it's it's looking better, and I've stopped whining mostly. Uh, have so you? it's definitely an improvement from last time we talked. Cool, stopped whining with an H, I assume, right? Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> All right. Well, episode thirteen, no more excuses. Uh, we have a special guest, and that is my wife Erica, who's joining us for this. Hello, Erica. Hello. The reason we brought Erica on today is because we're talking about advocating for your child or children and not feel like you're making excuses. And I thought she would be the perfect guest because obviously we live together and we are parenting an anxious child. And so she's a huge advocate for both of our children. And I learned the importance of advocating for your child when our daughter was actually born. She was born 10 and a half weeks early. So we spent eight weeks in the NICU. And down there we learned like she has no voice, this little baby. So her parents have to speak up for her and be her voice. That's where I learned about the importance of advocating for your child, because even as they get older and they mature and they have a voice, they still might not say the right things because as we've learned, their brain doesn't fully develop until they're 25. So we still have to advocate and speak for our children on um, certain occasions. And she has gone to bats for our kiddos a lot. So I thought she would be a good guest. So I thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Let's talk, Erica, about some of the uh, reasons you've had to advocate for our son. Well, you brought up a good point because I hadn't thought about advocating for our daughter in a different way when she was in the hospital. But I will start out by saying I am a shy person and I don't like to ruffle feathers. But when you are a parent, you have to advocate for your kids. And it's not always easy for people like me who just like to go with the flow and not bring attention to ourselves, but have to stand up for our kids because we know that's what's right. So for our son, I would say I've always you know, advocated for him, but probably when it became more, we had to speak up a little bit more is probably around like second grade, I would say probably when his anxiety started showing in ways that was more disruptive in the classroom. Before it was like little things like, hey, he's running around in the back of the classroom. And we would talk to him and say, hey, you know what, you can't run around the back of the classroom in preschool, you know, you need to go sit on on the carpet during carpet time. And you can't talk and during these times uh, during the classroom. But when it was like, when we get the calls about, hey, he's kicking chairs, or he's running away from the classroom, and you know, doing more behaviors like that, it was hard, because my first response was to be like, I'm so sorry, you know, that he's doing that. And I will talk to him. Um, and let him know that this is not appropriate behavior. And just let them know that, you know, let the school know that we're handling it as parents and, and talking to him at home. But it, we had those conversations and he would talk about it at home and he would say, I'm such a bad kid. I can't believe I did that. I'm so sorry. So he would get it at home 
when he was reflecting on his day, but then the very next day it would happen again. And then we'd get those calls again, like, hey, you know, your son's showing this type of behavior. So then I think Chad and I had to be like, okay, so what's behind the behavior? What's really happening? here and then try to have that conversation with the school to be like, I know he's being disruptive and causing some problems, but I think it might be more than him just causing problems on purpose. When you get that second call, you've gotten the call, you've talked to your kiddo, and then they go back to school and then you get the next call and the thing is still happening, even though you've talked about it. And like that moment for a parent is really hard because at this point, you know, you're starting to suspect that there's more going on, you, you know, but, but you're also frustrated. And how did you handle that? Would, I mean, how did you respond that, that second time, you know, when they're calling and you, you've already talked to them about it and it's, it's hitting you in the face again? I was embarrassed. I felt bad because I felt like I hadn't taken care of it at home. I hadn't met their expectations that it would have been addressed and fixed. You know, when they called back, again, my, my first response is to, again, apologize. I'm sorry that this is happening. I don't know why he's doing this. I, you know, and I almost felt like, and I, you know, this is probably my internal dialogue, you know, that they felt didn't believe me. I'm like, no, really, I talked to him. <laughs> we had a good conversation. He, we were on the same page about it. Well, you know, I really did my part. But when the second one came, I was like, oh, goodness. If my first reaction was still more guilt, you know, that mm -hmm. this was happening and that I wasn't doing my part as a parent to mm -hmm. take care of it and, and make sure that it didn't happen again. So I would say, yeah, guilt, embarrassment. And and that's that's exactly it. Like for parents, there's such a, a mix of emotions and none of them are very pleasant. And so guilt and embarrassment are some of the toughest ones for us to process and make sense of and then like work through. And so especially when it's about something that we aren't in direct control of. So we, we get defensive or, you know, we feel like we're the ones in trouble. So that can be that that whole interchange between the school and parents when we're starting to see these kinds of behaviors can be very, very stressful. And I just, I kind of wanted to highlight that. And I want to expand on that a little bit because like Erica said, she's very quiet. She doesn't like to ruffle feathers. I'm like that too. I don't, I, I don't think I'm as quiet, but I don't like to ruffle feathers. I like to be liked. I like to keep everything even and everybody getting along. But you do have those personalities that when the school does call, they get defensive. Well, that's not my child. He would never do that. How do you handle that if you're, if you're that type of personality where you're going to get defensive? I think that's really tough because, you know, I, I tell parents it's very important to take seriously the concerns, you know, that, that the school has and not to assume that what they're saying is not true or that your child is in the right. You know, it's it's important to, to hear them out and consider what that situation might be like when you're not present and, you know, you don't know all the dynamics that are going into it. But getting defensive when a when a teacher's telling you what's going on makes it very, very hard to find out what's really going on behind the scenes. So, you know, trying to, to kind of set that, that ego aside, because I think that's kind of what that is when you feel embarrassed or you feel guilty, like ego can take over mm -hmm. and make it so that you really don't want to hear what the other person has to say. And it becomes like a us against them kind of thing. And that doesn't feel very good. And so you have to, you have to check that a little bit, but then, you know, you just, you keep asking questions and you, you assure them that you're working on it and, and you see what advice they have. I mean, that, that's a lot of it is it, Teachers have seen a lot of different things and, and school staff know, you know, some of the resources that are out there. So if they're coming to you with a concern, you know, find out what they have in mind and what ideas they might have for the situation. And sometimes they won't have any. And that's OK, because, you know, you are the advocate and you'll figure it out. Well, that's a good point, Nikki, because you're, you should be there to learn from each other, being open minded on both parents and educator. And, and 
audience, we're just talking about the school because that's the issue we had. This can actually happen in many, many different uh, forms and, and fashion. I do want to say too that when we started this uh, adventure, we Eric and I were both very open to hear what the school had to say, and the school was very open to hear what we had to say. It was a very nice collaborative effort, team effort. Everyone was on board and wanted to do the best and what was right for our son. So I do want to make sure that that is, is pointed out. And it's so much more helpful when, when everybody, you know, does have kind of the same mission in mind, which is to help the kiddo. But I know sometimes it, it can be a little bit more difficult, but still, you know, going, going into it with an open mind, asking questions, um, trying to not let yourself, you know, fall into that guilty, embarrassed state. Cause that, that brings up more defensive behavior. That's, that's the key. And just like we've talked about in so many other episodes, you know, checking your own emotions in a situation like this is important. I mean, I know if I'm, you know, the school's calling my phone, my face is turning red immediately because I, I know that whatever's on the other end is probably not awesome. And so I have to kind of, okay, it's okay, breathe. I can handle this. And so I think that's a big part of it was coping with your own response before you try to have the conversation. And you mentioned, Chad, that it's not just about school and teachers. You're right. We have to advocate for our kids in lots of other situations. You know, if you're taking your kid to their pediatrician and, and that experience is super stressful, you know, you have to, you have to be willing to step up and say, I, I don't think that this is okay. I want to make a change. We, we had that with my oldest. She, we would go to the doctor and she would cry every single time. And I really didn't think it was anything the doctor was doing, but I, I just felt like, well, I want her to look at her medical providers with comfort and a sense of safety. So maybe we need to make a change. And so we did, and it was a completely different experience, but that was hard for me mm -hmm. as the parent to do, mm -hmm. because I really respected this, this particular physician and, and was so excited that they were willing to see my child. But then I had to say, I don't think this is right. And so advocacy for kids is all over in all kinds of different settings. And so we're not just talking about school today. Sure. And Erica, let's talk a little bit about an example of when you really had to advocate for him and uh, to fight for him is something that maybe the, since we're talking about school, they said something that you just, you disagreed with and you had to state your piece. I will say we, we do this together. Um, you know, I think we're pretty <laughs> fortunate in the fact that, it, like you said, it has been a partnership in most cases with the school of, you know, here's, our viewpoint, this is their viewpoint, and uh, how do we work together to to help him? You know, I think going back to that situation when the behavior started to escalate into kicking chairs and things like that, that that was probably the first time I had to dig a little deeper and be like, okay, so what happened before that? Or what was happening in that moment? And most times it was something I could be like, okay, I can connect it with that. He always had a hard time transitioning from recess back into the classroom and regulating himself to get ready to learn again, or anything that would have larger settings, like, you know, or, and loud noises like, you know, music or PE, he would always have trouble transitioning from, from those specials to back to the regular classroom. So I could, once I started to hear the pieces of the puzzle, I could start to put it together and be like, okay, so this is, this is why I think he's doing it. Um, I still at first struggled with that because I feel, still felt like I was making excuses. Um, but I, what I saw at home was the guilt that he felt that he and how he was internalizing things and how he felt like a bad kid and um, what it was doing to him. And it was really hard to see him hurt so much. And because I knew the kid he is, that, I guess, pushed me a little bit more to advocate uh, even more so for him because I knew he didn't want these things to happen at school, but in some ways it was out of his control. He was just in a state of mind that he just was reacting in this way. I guess, you know, 
when you see your kid hurt, you don't want you don't want that. And I knew there was something bigger to it. So you bring up a good point, Erica. Um, I think when we look at children's behavior, you know, we we tend to lump it into two categories. It's either it's a it's a problem behavior, like they're just misbehaving, you know, being bad or whatever, or we look at it like it's part of a mental health condition or it's there's something underlying it. And I would argue that it's not really two categories. It's just the one. If a kid is having a problem behavior in any setting, there's some underlying emotional difficulty or skill deficit or something like that there. And so a lot of times advocacy is helping the person who, you know, is working with your child to see that it is not about them being bad. It's not about them misbehaving or trying to push their buttons or trying to make them have a, a bad day. Because I think when we when we look at behaviors through that lens of, well, they're just, they're just misbehaving. We're a lot less empathetic or a lot less compassionate or a lot less likely to recognize our own role in it. And so it's really important, you know, to kind of the advocacy part is going, well, I think there's a cause for this. And so, you know, you mentioned the chair kicking. Well, there was a reason for that. The, the, the situations he was in where he was kicking chairs had been triggered by something, you know, that was upsetting to him and it was putting him in kind of like a fight or flight state of mind. And so kids do that in a fight or flight state of mind. And it wasn't about, you know, trying to make the teacher upset or trying to be difficult. It was a response to something that was very hard for him. And so I'm a big fan of, of taking any problem behavior and going, okay, what's at the heart of it? And not not brushing it off as just being bad or misbehaving or being difficult. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. And I want to hit on something that Erica said too about what we didn't see at school because we would get those calls and not that we never didn't believe the school, but we're like, that's not him kicking chairs. Uh, at times he would rip up paper and everything. We're just, we didn't see that at home. And then on the flip side, the folks at school didn't see the guilt that this little boy was going through when he got home. I mean, tears and panic attacks and just, I'm a bad kid and everybody hates me. And then the next day he doesn't want to go because he fears that he's going to get in trouble for what he did the day before. And, and the teachers at the time were like, every day is a new day, bud. We're, you know, yesterday's in the past. It's a new day. It's a fresh start, but it's been so hard to get him to go to school based off of that. One thing, Nikki, too, that our therapist had told us was punishment because if you get a call from the school, you know, maybe you get punished at home because you kick chairs. But our therapist told us like, if it's handled at school, let it be a school problem. Don't let him be double punished when he gets home. Thoughts on that? Yes, absolutely. No, no need to have a double jeopardy situation, right? If, if, a, if a child has had a consequence at school, um, especially if you know it's rooted in something like a fight or flight response or an anxiety kind of situation, coming home and, and having further discipline isn't necessarily the way to do it. I mean, I'm not going to say there's never times that you should, you know, shouldn't have some kind of consequence at home after a, an issue at school, you know, but, but it has to kind of fit, you know what I mean? The punishment or the, the consequence should fit the crime. So I would look at it more like if you kick the chair and we know that this is probably a fight or fight response, rather than thinking, oh, here's what you get for doing this bad thing. It should be more, what skill do you need to better manage that? So maybe it's practicing some, you know, slow breathing. Maybe it's doing a couple of yoga practices every day or, you know, poses every day um, to kind of help you learn to, to self-regulate. Maybe it's, you know, researching with a parent on the internet, like how do you handle anger or how do you handle situations where you feel overwhelmed? But it's, it's more like adding a skill or an opportunity to learn and grow rather than like taking away a privilege. But, and the cool part about it is for those parents who are kind of like, well, but he did this thing. And so he should have a consequence. I mean, if you're spending time working on breathing exercises or yoga or looking up 
you know, coping strategies for difficult emotions, you're not on your video game, right? You're, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, there's kind of the natural consequence of you're not necessarily doing the exact thing that you want to do, but you still, you still have the opportunity to learn, you know, a new skill in the process. And so um, I really challenge parents to look at it from that lens. Like if the teacher is, you know, they've missed recess or they had to write sentences or, I don't know what the consequences are at school these days. Things have changed a little, but if they've already done that, don't add an additional punishment, so to speak. Think about what's missing. Think about what they need, and then how can you build that in? And I can speak just from personal experience, and I know everybody's different, but by offering that and not punishing at home, it opened up a dialogue between Erica and myself and my son that he knew he wasn't going to get in trouble, so he was more free to talk because he knew he wouldn't say that. And we've said to him for a long time, like, if you feel more comfortable talking to dad today or talking to mom today, we understand if you want one of us over the other, that's not a big deal. But he's very open with communication. And I really credit that um, because of the, of the the conversation with the therapist about don't double punish, because that way we can get out of him now what's happening. Erica, you had mentioned earlier about one of the toughest times for you that you remembered going to advocate for your child. One of mine was a phone call I got, and we were very adamant that our son should not miss recess, that that sometimes is a punishment that schools will take away because, well, you did something bad, so we're going to take this away. But recess is built into schools for a reason, especially young kids, because that's when they get their energy out. Our son then had trouble going back from recess back into the room, which is a different issue. But I remember one day he was so concerned that he was going to get recess taken away. And the school was telling us, like, we think he was just being defiant and all this. And he kept saying that he didn't want recess to be taken away. And it was like, but that's an obsessive thought. He was so concerned on they were going to take recess away that you were not going to do anything logically to get him to do what you wanted him to do because he was worried about that threat. That to me was the time I went, okay, wait a second here. Let me let me give you my side of things. And they listened. Again, they were really good about having good open communication. That was one situation with that we had that I remember – because I, I mean, I remember forever that transitioning from recess back to the classroom has always been a challenge. So, you know, help, kind of helping him through that and, and kind of helping him regulate and calm down before he gets back to his studies was important. And fair to point out that that's still a struggle for him several years later. Well, then at the same point, yeah, he was fixated on, I'm not going to get recess, I'm not going to get recess. And so he got so fixated on that, he wasn't doing the work that he needed to do that if he didn't complete it, he was going to miss out on recess. So I remember getting a comment like, I don't think this was anxiety. I just think he didn't want to do the work. Well, he got so worked up and fixated on I'm willing to lose recess. Then he thought, well, I'm never going to get this work done. I'm never going to complete it the way that it needs to be done in the time that they want it to be done. So why do I even try? Because I'm going to miss recess anyway. You know, <laughs> So um, you know that small issue that's, you know, for us as adults think of recess, you know, but for kids, it's a big deal that he got so, you know, wrapped up around that, that he, it just snowballed into other things and he just shut down. And that's very common for kids is like, especially if there is an anxiety issue at the heart of it, you see that cyclical obsessive sort of thinking about something that like for the average kid isn't, you know, it's it's not an issue. It's like, okay, don't do the thing. And then you get to go to recess. Yay. Life is good. But for a kiddo who's struggling with anxiety, those obsessive thought cycles absolutely get involved. And that's, and that's a red flag. That's something to pay attention to. That's something to kind of be talking about is when the, the threat of the consequence is disabling, you know, you're not, you know, they're not benefiting from it. So that that's, 
good thing to pay attention to. Yeah, that was that was the, the spot for me when I realized it. Nikki, what advice can you give to parents of the whole thing? Because just sitting here, obviously, I know Erica very well, and I'm sitting there going like, man, we feel like we're just giving excuses for our kid. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for parents that when they go advocate for their child, yes, they might be quote unquote making excuses for their behavior, but it's rooted in their in their thought process. So how do we do it? How can we stand up for our child and, and be confident in what we're doing? Going in with the most important points written down. So if you're calling the teacher, you're reaching out, you're you're calling to, to discuss something with someone about your child, have the important facts in front of you on paper. Um, it, that will help you not you know get caught up in the emotion of it or feel like you have to be defensive. If someone is, is hearing what you're saying as you try to advocate for your child and they're writing it off as you're just making excuses for your child, that's 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 kind of a them issue, right? They they can think that, but it's still your job, right? Nobody else is gonna gonna do this in the way that you are, um, and so you get to continue doing it. The other part of it is making sure that there is some accountability there. Like you, it, it will look like an excuse if you listen to every single word your child says and you never take any other perspective in mind and you never ask them to do anything and you're not doing your part and that kind of, that kind of stuff. Yeah, like that that probably is a series of excuses. But if you're holding them accountable, you're having important conversations, you're looking into it, you're tracking it. If they choose, if anyone out there chooses to look at that as a set of excuses, they're probably not prepared to provide the kind of help and support you're needing. And that's when you kind of need to take it to the next level and figure out who out there can help you to advocate, have your information together, be prepared, be calm. Don't let your emotions get in the way. That's the best way to handle it. The other person's perceptive perception of it is their perception of it. I, I feel like we should change the name of the podcast from Scramble to Be Calm because I think we hit on that every single episode and it's always aimed at the adults. Be calm. <laughs> Erica, I can see her laughing because she knows I, she knows what I'm thinking right here is there was a few weeks ago we had released a, an episode and she says to me, I'm ha- it's a struggle in the morning and I'm escalating and I'm trying not to. And she says to me, she's like, hey, I just read that uh, intro you had for your podcast episode this week. I said, yeah. She goes, you should probably abide by that information. <laughs> that I was like, yeah, you're probably right because gosh, it can happen so quickly. And sometimes you just need somebody to kind of figuratively slap you upside the head, right? But sometimes when they do that, it makes it worse. You don't want anybody to tell you to calm down because it's the worst. You mean people don't calm down when you say you need to calm down? Isn't, it's, what? They don't. No, it's the most ineffective phrase in all of all of the It's phrases. worked for Taylor Swift. Made her some coin. I remember when we first started going down this uh, adventure uh, with anxiety and school, like as a couple, as a family, we just felt so hopeless and so downtrodden. And every time the phone would ring and it would show up that the school is just like, oh, what? So what advice can we give to, to families that are in that boat now? Do your research. Know what levels of support are out there. Know what the school might be able to do to help. Know know what, what can happen beyond what you're doing at home. Yeah. And I would say, like Chad said, we were feeling a bit hopeless and discouraged by what we were seeing happening at school because it was just day after day of the same things. And we you know, had gotten him the additional support that he needed with therapy, but his um, real anxiety was happening at school. You know, that's where he was feeling the most anxious and we were seeing the most episodes. So we didn't know what was available to us to help him until a teacher suggested the 504 plan um, as something that we could do to 
make accommodations for him so he could be successful in school and move him past some of these hard times that he was having. A 504 plan is a, a great option. It's a way that a child can get, you know, emotional support in school, um, social emotional support in school without having to have like a full on IEP. And Chad and I talked about doing an episode later on about these kinds of things, IEPs, 504 plans, things like that in the future. So we can revisit that. But those are wonderful options to consider if you're having continued issues and, and you're really having to advocate with the school. Ask about a 504 plan. Ask what the process is. How do you how do you get that going? Who do you talk to? You know, what do you, what do you need to do to make that possible? Because a 504 can allow for a kid to maybe get a break or have a little bit longer time on a test or an assignment um, or maybe to take their test in another room so that they're not as stressed or it just allows for those small modifications that make it easier for a kid with anxiety or any other type of mental health difficulty to just be more successful in the classroom. So we'll, we'll come back to that soon. Yeah. And we had not heard of a 504. We were like, what? And I will say I was blown away when we went in and saw all the options that we could do to help him succeed. Because again, they, we were all on the same page. We all wanted to do what's best for him. One other thing I wanted to hit on was kind of that invisible illness thing. If, if a kiddo comes in and they've broken their arm or their wrist or their finger, and they come in in a cast or a splint or something and can't write, accommodations are made to say, okay, this kid can't write for six to eight weeks, so we're going to have to do something to get them to do their homework. If you come in with a mental illness uh, like anxiety that you can't physically see, you can't put the proverbial Band-Aid over it, then what can we offer them, Nikki? Well, that's where, like we said, a 504 plan can help. And you have to, part of your job as parents is to be an advocate and to make clear the thing that you can't see. So, so yes, you can see broken fingers. I feel attacked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can see a, a broken, you know, arm or hand or leg or foot or injury, but we as advocates for our children need to make it more clear what the difficulty is and talk with school professionals about what other things might make those things possible. You know, when your child is most successful, you know, the things that are getting in their way. So when you can speak up and have those hard conversations, and make it, you know, hey, this is this is what's happening and really make it clear what's not working, it then becomes easier for the, the difficulty to be visible in the classroom. One other thing about advocating for your children is sometimes you have to make those hard decisions. And Nikki, you had mentioned earlier in the episode about your daughter and having to take her to a different pediatrician because it just wasn't a right fit. And so I think my advice for parents is if you feel stuck and you've done everything like ask a 504 and made accommodations and you're just not getting what you're wanting, either whether it's school or church or athletics, there is always an option to do something. You just have to know where to look and you have to be the one to, to stand up and say, this isn't working. We're going to have to either go somewhere else or do something else or find something that is the best for your child. Yep. And, and sometimes that means having a really hard conversation yeah. or being very uncomfortable yourself. And, you know, I, I avoid discomfort whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes we have to sit in that to help get our kids to the, the best possible situation for them. So don't be afraid to speak up. Erica, thank you for joining us. This has been a a great conversation about how to help our kids. Thanks for having me. Don't forget, if you like what you're hearing with this podcast, please share it with others or those who you think could benefit from it. And we also invite you to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. We greatly appreciate that. The more reviews we get, the higher up these so-called charts we move and the more people hear this podcast. And we're all about helping people understand childhood anxiety. Our next episode will be about what can happen if you ignore symptoms of anxiety. So join us next time to learn a little bit more about that. Our goal is to start a conversation and that conversation continues with you. 